This is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. I'm Jason Garcia, and this is Faithful Sayings. Good morning, and thanks for tuning in. We're beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be looking at studying God's Word, the importance that Scripture gives to the study of it and the Bible and knowledge and a number of different texts that, again, emphasize and magnify that that point to us. And I want to begin in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for, for joining me. I'm looking forward to studying with you. I want to encourage you to visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org where we post sermons on a weekly basis, and there's some number of other resources that you can use if you so desire. Uh, so First Timothy chapter 4, I'd like to begin really by reading several texts, and they're all within the books of First and Second Timothy and Titus. So if you have your Bible open, we're just going to be flipping uh, a couple of pages at a time, and I just want to introduce our lesson, I guess, by just looking at the repeated emphasis throughout these books, and really all of Scripture, but these books in particular, uh, that's the, the emphasis that's on the reading and studying of Scripture. And I wanted to reflect upon that with you this morning. Uh, so First Timothy chapter 4, in verse 6, beginning, it says, "...in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women." On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And also from this chapter, if you drop down to verses 15 and 16, and we're going to go through these pretty quickly, and as we do, just kind of look for the, the common theme, the common thread of emphasis that runs throughout these, these texts. 1 Timothy 4, uh, same chapter, drop down to verse 15, it says, uh, Paul says, Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do, this will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Still in 1 Timothy, just turn forward to chapter 6. This is the end of the chapter, uh, end of the book, really, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. He says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith, and grace be with you. Now moving into 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me and the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And Paul in the context is talking about the gospel or the standard of sound words. 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And then also from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. And finally, Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, with regard to elders, it says that they should hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both um, exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. So that's a lot of text, I know, to, to introduce our lesson, but 
In every single one of those seven passages, there is an emphasis given to the study, to the reading and and studying of Scripture, and and the discipline, really, of reading Scripture. Because especially with these remarks to Timothy, we can see that Paul specifically mentions disciplining himself for the purpose of godliness, he says in in that first text. But wrapped up in that is Timothy's responsibility later in that chapter, he says, to take take pains with these things, that is, the things of the, the Word and studying the Word for yourself and teaching your brethren and retrain, retaining the, the standard of sound words or the pattern of sound teaching, your, your Bible might say. And Paul says he has to be absorbed in these things. And so there's very powerful language, all pointing to um, the, the same the same thing, telling us that this is a rigorous exercise that we have to, to vigorously pursue, that we have to persevere in this, endure in this, be diligent and study and things like this, words that entail a whole lot of work, right? We don't typically think of, you know, reading the Bible perhaps as as work or as a discipline, perhaps, you know, we, depending on our attitude toward the word, we may think it's something that we just read casually, but when we look at the scripture itself, it is telling us, uh, no, it's not to be handled in, in that way. It has to be handled carefully, right? That's what Paul is saying in Second Timothy 2, that Timothy has to be diligent in this to show himself approved and accurately handle the word of truth. And so what that implies is that there's a right and wrong way to handle the truth, to handle the Bible, to study the Bible, and, and be in the Bible, as Paul says, literally, or earlier in First Timothy uh, the New American Standard says, be absorbed in these things, but absorbed is just in, in italics, which means that's a word that the translators added. And the original reading in the original language, what Paul is saying is just be in them, be in them, the scriptures. The ESV chose to render it, uh, immerse yourself in the scripture and giving yourself wholly to them, the King James says. So all all these ideas, again, point us in the same direction, that this is a, a rigorous discipline that we have to be committed to, uh, to, to, to doing to the end that we can uh, teach ourselves and help ourselves, uh, but also be able to help others, right? That's what Paul is saying to Timothy, so that you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you in 1 Timothy 4, 15 and 16. And as an evangelist, you know, we remember historically Timothy was in Ephesus when Paul was writing to him. He was working with the church there, and he was a he was a teacher. He was a preaching for them, and he had to be able to defend the, the truth from opposition. And that's also a, a, another point of emphasis within this within the text of First and Second Timothy and Titus as 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 well, because both of those men were involved in in the same. In the same work, they had to be prepared to answer false teachers, but also make progress themselves and grow spiritually as they grew in the knowledge of God. And so all of that really is, is a challenge to to us as, as well. We understand, or we should understand, I think, from those texts, how essential the study of God's Word is to our training as His, his people, as our workmen, as Paul says there to Timothy. And it's training that's never over. You know, if we want to understand from a physical standpoint, I think if we want to get in shape and stay in shape, that we have to have a healthy diet and a steady workout regimen. And the same is true when it comes to our faith. I think that's, you know, the comparison that Paul is making 
in First Timothy chapter four, that where we read our, our first text in verses six through eight, when he's talking about bodily discipline or bodily exercise, your Bible might say is profitable a little, but he says godliness is profitable even more so uh, because it holds promise for this life and the life to come. And so we have to give ourselves to to this. And if we refuse to get our spiritual exercise and to study the Word and apply the Word of God uh, and train ourselves for godliness, then our faith is going to to suffer. And that's exactly what happened to the Hebrews. Remember Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, that particular group that the writer is addressing there. We don't know who the Hebrew writer is. People speculate that it was maybe Paul or Apollos, but... Uh, he doesn't identify himself in, in the text, but nevertheless, he knew these people and he knew their their spiritual issues and they had failed to make progress. They were regressing, in fact. And he says in verse 11 that you've become dull of hearing. And so concerning Jesus, whom I have much to say, it's it, some of these are hard to explain, he says. And he is in the context speaking specifically about Jesus's role as Melchizedek, king and high priest, and the... Uh, fulfillment of that type within the the Old Testament. But he says that their issue is, their underlying issue is, and the reason they can't understand is because they've gotten lazy and they've regressed. They've come to need milk and not solid food. And so he's using physical items, of course, and saying that they've they've gone back to spiritual infancy, basically. And they need to become more accustomed to the Word. They're not familiar with the Word. And so I want to reflect with you this morning on some negative and positive approaches to Scripture and the consequences of those of those approaches. And so I think probably one of the saddest truths is, is that the Bible, you know, it's a bestseller. It's one of the most sold, most bought books in the world, but sadly it seems to be the least read. And we can all be guilty of only reading Scripture sparingly. And that's going to have an adverse effect on our walk with with God. And so the first approach is uh, being a sparing Bible student uh, or reading the Bible sparingly and only studying it sparingly, sporadically. And I have a few thought questions for us to consider as we move forward on this point. And the first one is, you know, are the only times that we read or hear Scripture, the only times that we hear or read Scripture, is it during the assembly, like when we go to church on Sundays or Wednesdays, or is it only on this radio program? Or do we read Scripture every day? You know, not everyone has had the, uh, that opportunity in, in the past uh, because it, the Bible just wasn't so uh, as available as it is now. It's in different languages, and it's in English and different translations. I don't know how many dozens of different translations there are, but it's very easy to get your hands on a Bible these days. And I want to consider what is said in Deuteronomy 17 with you. This is this was the standard set for the king. You know, Moses is anticipating the time of the king um, when a king would reign over Israel. And this is what he says about this man's relationship to the word of God. It shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, and that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right side or the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. 
And so what we see here with regard to this king was that he was to do what? What was his relationship to be with the Word of God? It was He was to write his own copy of it. He was to write it down him, himself, and he was to keep it with him all the days of his life, and he was to read it all the days of his life to the end that he would be a righteous king, that he wouldn't become arrogant and turn aside from the commandment, but lead his people in a godly in a godly way. And so if that was the standard, and, that, and my point is not that we should you know, write our own copy of the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. But this was the standard for uh, the king in, in ancient times, the, the the leader who was, you know, had so much responsibility. And, you know, when we think about our lives, there's a lot of leadership roles that we have. You know, we're husbands and uh, fathers or mothers and or grandparents, and we have uh, little ones that we're trying to lead and to, to train. And the way that we can do that effectively is by having a strong relationship with the truth, because it is only through the truth that we come to know and understand God, God better. So the question for us is: Are are we devoted to the reading of of Scripture? You know, this this man was called to do it every single day of his life, and he was in a position as royalty to have that kind of access to the Word of God and to where where it would have been kept, because. You know, we we haven't always had codexes or books, you know, with bindings. That That's a relatively uh, new invention within our our history when we th- think about long term. But anyway, not without getting into that too much, it just wasn't as widely available then. Uh, and so this was a privilege for the king is the point that I'm making in, in order to, to do this. And now everybody has that kind of access to the word of God. And so are we are we devoted to, you know, First Timothy 4. And verse 13 says just that. We didn't read that text earlier, actually. Uh, but First Timothy 4, 13, Paul says, Be devoted to the reading of Scripture. And your Bible might say to the uh, public reading of Scripture. And, you know, there's not just a whole lot of that that goes on in churches today. You know, when we look at the scenes in the New Testament where Jesus or Paul go into a synagogue, uh, many times, you know, it was just, the word of God being read, or we think about scenes like from Nehemiah eight and and nine, where for just hours and hours the word of God was just read, and then there were people, um, a person or persons, giving a translation or giving the meaning of of the text, explaining what the word was was saying, and we've kind of gotten away from that. You know, things are so much more performance oriented now in in the assembly and in, in the church, but um. You know, if we just had an hour of reading Scripture publicly, that would be time well spent, I believe. You know, Acts 17 is another good example of folks who were really serious about digging into the Word of God and getting to the getting to the truth and understanding the truth, and that is the Bereans. So Paul, you know, on his missionary journey, I forget which one it is here, uh, but he goes from Thessalonica Thessalonica to Berea, and Thessalonica, he ran into a lot of obstacles. I think there were some converts there, but um, it says in verse 11 that the Jews in Berea were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And so when Paul came to them with the gospel and was teaching them and preaching to them, they wanted to test what he was saying by the Word of God. And so they went to the Word of God and they examined it. It says daily, and they were very eager about this. And so they are forever 
going to stand as an example of someone who has a proper attitude toward the Word of God. So another approach that we can take to scriptures, which I think is a, a, would fall in the negative category, would be to read it selectively. And so let me give you an example of what, I was, what I'm talking about. I, I remember watching a fellow on TV one time, and he was his point was don't worry too much about the difficult things in the Bible, the things that are hard or challenging or negative even um, because there's many things in the Bible, as many wonderful and beautiful promises there are in Scripture and the hope that it gives us. There's many warnings and there's many uh, admonitions within the Scripture that, that are designed to convict us and to cut us to the heart. And he was saying don't worry about those things so much as, as the things that you feel bless you. And so I didn't really understand what he mean by that, but as he went on to say, you know, he said, just go through and underline the things that bless you. So basically the things that are just positive, right? Just focus on the positive. And while I can appreciate wanting to emphasize, the, again, the beautiful promises of Scripture, uh, I don't think we should at the same time ignore the hard and ugly stuff and just seize upon the good and positive things because... We have examples in Scripture of people who were selective listeners who only wanted to hear what was pleasing to them, and that didn't serve them. That didn't serve them well. In fact, Paul says in Second Timothy chapter four, in verses three through four. So here he gives at the beginning of the chapter another charge to Timothy to preach the word and to be ready to do that all the time. And he says that the reason is in verse three that the time is going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things and endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Paul anticipated and he knew that there was a time coming when people would just essentially get fed up with the truth because there's many difficult things that God has to tell us and wants us to know, convicting things. Uh, you know, the first gospel sermon ever preached to the world, the response to it in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37 was that those men were cut. They were cut to the heart and they were convicted and they were sorrowful because of what they had, had done and understood who Jesus was when they understood who Jesus was. And so we don't want to be selective readers. We don't want to be, we don't want to fall into the category of people who can't stand Sound doctrine, right? That's what Paul says in verse 3. They won't be able to endure it. They won't be able to take it. And this lack of ability to listen and study and read uh, the, the difficult things of the Word of God, all, all of the Word of God, uh, can lead to our demise as, as well. You know, Paul says in Acts chapter 20 that he didn't neglect to declare the entire counsel of God. And I think in the context he's speaking to... Um, his time at, at, at Ephesus when he was there. And so that's that's the approach that we want to take. We don't want to be selective readers. We want to know what the whole counsel of God is. That's what David did. Psalm 119 and verse 160, he said, the sum of your word is truth. And so that's what we're looking for. Uh, so we don't want to get defensive. We don't want to be selective. We don't want to read to prove others wrong or to prove ourselves right or to make ourselves uh, feel better necessarily, uh, or, or only for that reason, I should say. Certainly there's comfort to be derived from the Scriptures, and we should go to them for that. But, um, you know, we don't do that at the expense of and, and, and ignoring the other uh, 
uh, other parts of Scripture. Uh, so we should we should embrace this idea of wanting to be challenged. That's the approach that we should take. We sh- we should desire to be challenged when we read Scripture. We know that the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter four, in verse twelve, that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's it's living and it's active, and it's designed it's designed to cut. He says it's it it splits it pierces. As far as division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the Word of God is designed to expose us to ourselves even. It's a discerner of our own thoughts and, and hearts. And we have to, I believe, embrace that. It's, it's, it's rigid. It's the truth. It's absolute. And so we have to conform to it when it shows our blemishes and when it shows our faults and when it convicts convicts us of wrong motives and things like this. Uh, So, you know, many people have run into this obstacle, and there's lots of examples of it. You know, John chapter 6 is is one. When people in that text were challenged in John chapter 6 by the things that Jesus was saying, uh, their response was, this is a difficult statement. So Jesus, in describing himself as the bread from heaven or manna from heaven, and that he must be consumed, that his flesh and blood must be consumed. And, of course, this was all metaphorical teaching. It was it was pointing to the importance of accepting him uh, completely and consuming him. And that's a lesson for another time. But this was, this was difficult to understand. This made people uncomfortable. And uh, your Bible might say they thought it was a hard saying. And so a- as a result of this, Many of his disciples left him, it says in verse 60 and 61, and they they walked away, and they didn't embrace the challenge. You know, but if you look at uh, the counterexample that's in the same text of Peter, you know, when Jesus turns to his other disciples, he says, you don't want to go away too, do you? Now, Peter's response is, where are we going to go? You know, you have the words of life. So even if Peter didn't completely understand what Jesus was saying, I think that he was confident that he would at some point um, and that he could and that it was going to take work. But he knew that Jesus had words of spirit in life and he was going to discipline himself to be a disciple, right, and be a follower and strive to understand as, as best as he could and, and apply what he heard the, as best as he could. But we have to be willing to embrace the challenge. So that means we have to humble ourselves you know, when in, in context, when we're, when we're studying, uh, you know, if it's in a group study or when we're studying on our own, we have to be willing to ask for, for help like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 or others, you know, who say, you know, how can I understand this unless somebody helps me? And so a, a good place to look, I think, would be um, to elders uh, of a local church. Like here at Leon Valley, we have five uh, very good elders, and you know that for one of the first texts that we read in Titus chapter one was that elders are supposed to be men and have to be men who are well versed in the scriptures, who are able to re- hold to the pattern of sound teaching, so that they can teach others, and so also they can be sentinels or guardians in a sense to refute those who are in opposition, who contradict. So they have to have a good handle on the scriptures. That's one of their qualifications, and so that's a good place to to go. I believe. Uh, and then I would say uh, to teachers and preachers as as well, uh, like Timothy, who had that charge. And so 
But that requires humility on our part, right? That that requires us owning up to saying, you know, I don't know everything, and I need I need help, you know. And that's the and and also it requires us to be humble in the sense of acknowledging our own faults, not necessarily in our capacity for understanding necessarily, uh, which I think we're more capable than we give ourselves credit for sometimes. But we have to be humble in the sense of uh, acknowledging our sin and confessing our our wrong. And you know, James, I think speaks to that in James chapter 1 uh, when he says, uh, In humility, receive the word implanted within you, which is able to save your souls. That's James chapter 1 and verse 21. He says, Put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, and in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Uh, so when we open the word of God and we peer into it and we search it and we, and we discover again our imperfections and our shortcomings, and it's exposing us, again, just as it was designed to do, as it reveals our thoughts and intentions and judges us, and it divulges our character with with all of our inadequacies, what do we do? When we're challenged in that way, do we just walk away and forget everything <clears throat> or just say, this is too difficult, who can hear it? Or are we convicted and, and want to change and want to apply want to apply what the Word of God is, is telling us and conform to it. We have to read with that intention, I believe. You know, Ezra, it says of Ezra in Ezra 7 and verse 10 that he had set his heart to learn the will of God and to study it and to do it. And that shows us that it's possible. We can we can have that same, that same attitude. Uh, let me read that text uh, to you. This is Ezra chapter 7. In verse 10, Ezra 7.10, it says that he had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Uh, so there again, there's so much overlap with what we see in Paul's instructions to, to Timothy, that he had to personally take responsibility and discipline himself to study the, the, the word of God and to practice it himself, and also then to impart that knowledge to others and teach it to to others. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, as James goes on to say in James chapter 1 in that text that we just read. Uh, so we should learn to read the word of God with intent, embracing the challenge and approach it with, uh, approach it deliberately and with the intention of, I'm, I want to know how to live. I want to know what God wants me to do. And so there's nothing wrong with setting those goals for ourselves. And I would encourage us to set those goals for ourselves, to gain understanding, to learn to fear God more, to learn uh, you know, the mystery of Christ and the plan of salvation and, and reinforce those things. You know, even if it's something that we've read many times over, you know, Peter, when Peter wrote to uh, you know his it, Christians everywhere in Second Peter chapter one. Um, you know he said, I, "I know that you know these things." As he's writing to them, he says, I, "I know that you know the truth, and I know that you're established in the truth." But then he says, "I'm going to tell you anyway." In in verses twelve and following, he says, "I'm always going to be ready to remind you of these things that even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you." He says, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. 
And he goes on to say he, he knew that his departure was at hand and he wanted them to be able to call to their memories uh, what they had learned. He says, I want you to be able to call these things to mind. And so we have to understand that our, ourselves too, that we're going to understand, um, we're, you know, one of our goals is to gain understanding, but that, that entails going over things perhaps that we've studied many times and for many, many years, knowing that it's, we need it. Even though we're established in the truth, we need the reminder. You know, Paul tells the church at Philippi that it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. It's security for you. And that's how we have to think about it. You know, where Paul says that we're nourished on the words of the faith. And he wants Timothy to be nourished on the words of the faith. Constantly nourished, he says. And so that goes back to that idea at the beginning of our, our study that we, we discussed. You know, we get that in the physical realm that we need daily food and sustenance in order to be physically nourished and to sustain our bodies. And Paul is saying that's the same thing, the same thing about the word spiritually. You need spiritual sustenance that's found in, in the word of God to gain understanding, to grow in hope. And we're not going to, first of all, receive those things if we're not willing to commit ourselves and devote ourselves and discipline ourselves to to sit and study. And also, even if we do that, if we don't have the right attitude in our, in our approach, we're still going to, to fail. If we're not honest and objective with ourselves, and if, if we're not embracing the challenge and, and wanting to grow and understand, then we're going to, to fail if our hearts are not set like Ezra's to, to study in the Word of God so we can do it, so we can practice it, and then impart it to others. Well, I've enjoyed studying with you this morning. I hope you've been encouraged to look more carefully into the Word of God. I'm going to be praying about these things. I hope that you will, too. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.